This morning, would you please turn your Bibles to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Today we begin chapter 5 of our series on the letter written to the church that's in the city of Ephesus. And the series is entitled One. Dr. Karl Barth was one of the world's greatest theological minds. He made the cover of Time magazine in April of 1962. And one of the things that Dr. Bart loved to do was he, he loved to challenge people, and he often spoke in paradoxical statements. And he did that to shock his students into seeing the radicalness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said things like, like this. He said, The gospel is not a truth among other truths. Rather, it sets a question mark against all truths. And I read that, and I read that over and over again, and I, and I, think, I, I think I get it. But it takes time to, to read some of the things over and over again that he said. He said this, too which I'm still not sure about, but he said, um, faith is awe in the presence of the divine incognito. It is the love of God that is aware of the qualitative difference between God and man and God in the world. When you get that, would you just let me know what that, what that <laughs> means? Uh, uh, he's so interesting. In 1962, he went to the University of Chicago, and in a packed auditorium, just this, this crowded auditorium, um, Dr. Bart was asked how he would summarize the greatest theological truth known to mankind. What is the greatest theological truth known to mankind? And this is what he said. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Our text today is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's word for us today. I think it's, it's really clear just to read those two verses in, that, in our text today that, that Paul is, is, is saying something to the church in Ephesus. He's saying something to us here at Nova Community Church. And so what we're going to do is just these two verses today, we're going to simply take it and we're going to look at, just make some observations about it, and then we'll do a simple exposition, and then we'll have some application, just in three parts today, making it as simple as we can. Because I think, just in the observation, Paul's addressing here, it's very clear, he's addressing adults as children. He's addressing adults as children. And he's saying this is a very simple message, and, and it is, it's a very basic message, and it is. And the message is this, that you are loved by God. It says in the text, Christ loves us. 
and that you are a member of the family of God. That if, if God is your father, you're a member of the family of God. He's saying, as dearly loved children. And so I think he's saying to us, for us to stay moldable, to stay teachable, to stay available. The God of creation, the God of creation, the ruler of heaven and earth, knows us personally. And he wants an intimate family relationship and an intimate loving relationship with us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14, 15, and 16, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, Abba is the Aramaic equivalent of dad or daddy or dada. And um, it's a endearing, it's, an, it's a um, shortened term for father. It's an, uh, a word of, it's an onomatopoeia. It's, it's when a child begins to talk, when you have a, a baby and you, uh, as a father of, a, of babies long ago, um, I wanted them to say to me, to call out to me. And just as they were forming their words, you know, they say dada, say daddy, you know, and just encouraging them. And this is that word. And it's the word of, it's the simple, beautiful words of a little baby beginning to speak, calling out to their father. Abba, baba, 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 abba. And that's where we get this word from. As a child of God, as an adult child of God, we have this privilege to call the almighty creator, Daddy. Now, as soon as we start talking about God being our Father, I know that some of you start to pull back and you start to get uncomfortable because the, your example of an earthly father was a man who was flawed, a man who was mean, perhaps, maybe judgmental, abusive, or maybe even abandoning you. And your flawed earthly father is nothing like your perfect and loving heavenly father. And we're not going to go all the way down and continue to talk about this, but I encourage you, if you want to know more about Abba Father, on our uh, novachurch.org website, there's a video on the media uh, page, and it's of a class that was taught here, an uh, interterm Nova class. And it was, um, the class was called Words of Worship. And we had um, Joshua Sanders and Adam uh, Duchin and Shannon and someone else, I forgot. Anyway, uh, uh, Andrew, come and, come and teach us about Words of Worship. But uh, Shannon Pittman um, had this one section at 19 minutes and 30 seconds into the video. You can forward there. And she gives us about 10 minutes of some great teaching about what Abba Father is all about. And so I encourage you this week to take a look at that, at that video. But the simple message, the observation that we could make, just looking at these two verses, is it's a simple message, and it's a basic message. And the message is, you are loved by God, 
and you are in the family of God if you call him your father. Let's take a look at the text and, and we'll look, look at what we call principles of imitating God's love is what we'll do. So um, these two verses give us the simple basics of Christianity. Uh, every once in a while I get invited um, by our denominational uh, affiliations, Converge or the EFCA, and uh, I get invited to be part of what's called a, a ministerial credentialing council. And what it is is, is there's these guys who have studied and, they've, and they're seeking credentialing, either a license or an ordination uh, with our denominational bodies. And so if there is uh, uh, someone in this area that's going to be licensed or ordained, they'll invite the local pastors to come and be a part of this a ministerial council. So you can imagine, I mean, what happens is these guys, they'll, they'll write a theological paper. It's a doctrinal paper, and, and um, they'll write this paper, and then they email it around, and we read it, and then we ask questions about their theological paper, and it's, it's kind of fun. It's, they're in the hot seat, kind of, and, and we get to ask these questions, and you can imagine, I mean, the, the long words that are thrown around, the deep theological concepts that are thrown around. And I was in one of these one time. It was a licensing council, so it's the first credential um, for, this, for this young guy. And uh, he wrote a really good paper, an excellent paper. And uh, it was real clear, and uh, it, it was deep, and what a good mind he had. And there was all sorts of discussion happening, and then it kind of fell silent. We were, we were pretty much done. And then one of the guys asks this great question. He asks, how would you explain Christianity to a five-year-old? After all of this deep theological discussion, he lays down this last question. It was probably the hardest question of the whole credentialing council. And when you, when you get asked a question like that, there's not a lot of exposition of chapter and verse that you do. You've got to stick to the basics, and you've got to get there fast for a five-year-old, right? Verse 2 in our text today literally and simply means, walk in love as Christ loved you by giving himself up for you. See, today needs to be really the simplest of sermons. It, it really does. If we're talking about the basics, if he's, we're talking about being children of God, what is the essence of Christianity is what we're talking about this today. And how do you become a Christian? You believe that Jesus gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for you. So number one, principles of, of imitating God's love. Number one is this, it's doctrine and practice always go together. Doctrine and practice always go together. The this passage is the integration of theology, it's what we believe, and ethics, it's how we behave. It's the integration of, of these two. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we've already covered it, we've talked about it even, in, its, in, in, the, in the general chapters 1, 2, and 3, is all about the deep theological concepts of the faith. We call this the doctrines of the faith. And then... Chapters 4, 5, and 6 of the, of the book of Ephesians is all about the practice of theology, the practice of our faith. And so what we have in chapter 4 is that word worthy. And that word worthy is our Greek word 
axios, and we get our English word axiom, which means it's the balance point in a, in a scale. It's that, it's that tip. And so what we have, Paul's telling us, is chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about the deep theological truths of our faith, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 balance that out on the axios, on the axiom, on the practice of faith. And so it's, it's, it's repeated here in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It emphasizes that belief and application, they belong together and must never be separated. For, for what we are governs how we think, and how we think determines how we act. And here's the Apostle Paul, right in the middle of this letter, reminding the church that you were created in the image of God. We talked about that last week. Encouraging people to live in unity as one. He's saying to love one another, to be forgiving, to communicate well with one another. And Paul writes, you should live in love because Christ loves you and gave himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There is no practice without doctrine. The reason you walk in love is you believe that there is a man named Jesus who is God. And he offered himself up. It wasn't by accident. He offered himself up by choice to be a completely satisfying sacrifice in place of us. It, it, a sacrifice to God. And you can't talk about living a life of love without believing in that doctrine. It, you know, it's possible to know and believe deep theological concepts without those beliefs changing your life. We call these people Pharisees or hypocrites. Pharisees are people that are only concerned with what they believe, with right beliefs. And true Christianity is not less than right beliefs, but it certainly is more than right beliefs. Your right beliefs, what you believe, leads you to living a life of loving others. Number one, doctrine and practice, they always go together. Number two is walking in love is the lifestyle of the Christian. Walking in love is the lifestyle of the Christian. All of what it means to be imitators of God can be summed up in this, that we love humans we love people. Everything about the Christian life, it, it boils down to this. If you're walking in love, in essence, uh, you're doing everything that God requires. Everything flows out of love. Literally, in the original language, it's very simple. Walk in love. That's what we're talking about here. It doesn't say, now get this, it doesn't say, it says walk in love. It doesn't say sprint in love. Right? It doesn't say cartwheel in love. It doesn't say somersault in love. It doesn't say jump in love. Now, how many of you know how to do a cartwheel? Raise your hand. Okay, please teach us afterwards. Uh, but when I consider cartwheeling versus walking, um, a cartwheel is something you do through concentration. You focus your attention you plan your route, you tighten your core, you, you do something unnatural by throwing your hands in front of you on the ground first, 
right? And then you do something very unnatural where you kick your feet over your head and then you go forward, I think. Uh, I've always wanted to, but I've, I've, never, I've never done that. No one walks around saying, or no one goes around saying, I just cartwheeled. How did that happen? No, no one does that. You have to plan your cartwheel out. A cartwheel is not natural. It's not routine. You have to plan to execute that. But when you walk, biblically, it's routine. It's natural. It's continuous. It's, it's a lifestyle. So walk in love is natural. It's organic. Um, but to cartwheel in love? You need to focus, you need to tighten, you need to exert strength in love if that's what you're going to do. But to walk in love, I just live my life. It's natural, it's continuous, it's routine. Are you an approachable person? Or are you hard? Are you hard on people? Are you irritable? Are you judgmental? Are you demanding? Are you scary to approach? Are you competitive or territorial? Are you controlling? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've, we've read this on coffee cups and t-shirts and posters and you go to a wedding and inevitably this is one of the verses that's going to be pulled out. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking and not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Is this how someone would describe you in your life? Is, is this the way you walk in your life? I think it's interesting because in the preceding verses, in verses 1 through 3, before verses 4 through 8, Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or, or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I, I think it's so interesting that Paul's describing the actions of Christian ministry, really. He's saying, being a great preacher, you know, if I speak in the tongues of um, uh, angels and of man, but do not have love. And, and so being a great preacher is Christian ministry, having great knowledge, um, being confident in God's work, being an intense warrior of injustice, of, of, of justice causes, but if I don't have love in any of that Christian ministry, I'm, I'm nothing. And the absolute, unmistakable mark of a Christian is not to cartwheel in love. It's just to walk in love. It's just natural. It's, it's who you are. It's not about how many times you share the gospel with others or how much money you give or how, much, how many hours you put in Christian service. Are you walking in love? Fake Christians can work up the strength to be patient and kind and all these other things, but it's an unmistakable mark of a Christian that this is just who you are. These are the principles of imitating God's love. 
that doctrine and practice that go together, that walking in love is the lifestyle of the Christian, and the third is this, the purpose of the cross is give, to give you a sweet life. The purpose of the cross is to give you a sweet life. Uh, I think it's interesting, the King James Version of, of verse 2 in Ephesians chapter 5, and it says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Sweet-smelling savor. Here's a very straightforward and blunt way to put it. Is your life foul-smelling? It's as simple as that. Maybe a five-year-old would say, does your life stink? Really? The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross makes your life smell sweet. And it's basically and simply like a child it, it tells us that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it, it was a sacrifice. It's, it's simple. It was a sacrifice. It, it, the Bible word would be atonement. Three different words. at one mint. A, a sacrifice is an atonement. An atonement is this. It's a payment that brings two people who were estranged, separated, a payment that brings them together. Simply this, if, um, if I offended my spouse with, with my words, then, then there's a break, you know, where she's mad and I don't have favor with her and so we're estranged, we're separated, I offended her. And to become one again, I need to sacrifice, I need to sacrifice to bring us back together i need to apologize i i need to ask for forgiveness my spouse needs to forgive me and then we're one again in the old testament the sacrifice was an animal in the new covenant jesus christ is our substitutionary sacrifice and so for my life to be sweet smelling because of the cross there need to be a sacrifice the second is it needs to be voluntary in in john chapter 10 Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay my life down on my own accord. So it has to be a sacrifice, and then it has to be voluntary. And the third is, it has to satisfy God. In the Old Testament, after the animal was sacrificed, they'd get that meat, and they'd put it on a burning altar, and it would cook. I don't know about you, but sometimes after a long week, and I guess in some ways my week ends on when we lock the doors here at about 12 noon and I go home and I have my day off on Monday. But when I come home after a long week, maybe a stressful week, maybe a busy week, it could be even all of that together as a joyful week, but when I come home and if we have something really good cooking in the kitchen for lunch, I smell that and I smell welcomed. And I smell um, wonderful. And I smell inviting things. I smell lunch cooking. It could be a barbecue. It could be out of the crock pot. It could be in the oven. It could be on the stove. It doesn't matter. It's a sweet-smelling, inviting, loving, welcoming smell. In the same way, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, 
God was completely satisfied, a sweet-smelling savor. When you give your life to God, because Jesus' sacrifice, you become the sweet smell to God. So we have our observations. It's basic. It's simple. You're loved by God. We have this exposition, the principles of imitating God's love, and now we have our application today. How do I love like God? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us first point today of application is my actions of love are bold. First John chapter 4 verse 19 says we love because he first loved us. Love always takes the first step. It always does. Natural love it involves risk because there's possible rejection. Sometimes it involves sacrifice but it's assertive. It's, it's bold. How is your love? Is it risky? Is it sacrificial? Is it bold? I was working at, a, at the gym a few months ago, and um, uh, what happens with me? I, I get up in the morning. It's early in the morning. I get up, and then I put my contacts in because I can't see well. And so, but lately, my eyes have been really dry, allergies or old age, whatever it, it is. My eyes are dry. And so they have to rehydrate after I sleep, and so I'm always tearing up in the morning. So I go to the gym, and I'm working out, and I'm on this machine. I'm sitting on this bench, and I'm, and I'm just sitting on this bench resting after my, after my set. And there's a guy that's right next to me, and he comes over, and he just bumps me on the, on the shoulder. I'm sitting there, and he goes, it's like, oh, he recognizes that I'm lifting a lot of weight right here. And so... <laughs> So I said, hey, all right. And I had my headphones in because he's not talking to me because that headphones is don't talk to me. I'm working out. And so, um, so I'm sitting there and I do my thing and he does his thing. And then he taps me on the shoulder and he starts talking. And so I take my headphone uh, out of my ear, my earbud out, and I'm listening. And he said, you okay? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, all right, it's going to be okay. And I said, okay. And... Uh, <laughs> put my earbud in and we're doing this and he's kind of watching me and he's doing his thing and I'm doing my thing and then at the very end he's talking to me and I take my earbud out and he said I'm going to be praying for you and he walks away and I realize he thought I was crying because my eyes were watering and I kept on doing this and I was wiping my eyes and, he, and I, had my, I had my head down because I, I I'm not looking at other people. And I just want to do my thing. I had my head down and I'm wiping my eyes. And he thought I was crying. Checking in with me. I don't know who this guy is. He's telling me it's going to be okay. Encouraging me. Then he says, I'm going to be praying for you. I don't even know who this guy is. 
Love is like that. It's assertive. It's, it's first. It, it's bold. It's risky like that. When we have our missional outreaches, it's the same thing. We hand out water bottles at the farmer's market once a, once a month. And it's just the church being the church in the community. And all these thousands of people go to the farmer's market and we're handing them water bottles and we don't want anything from them. We just want to love them. And people will ask, you know, you need a donation. You need to tell me, give me a track. Do you need to, you know, do you want something from me? No, we just want to give you a water bottle. But if you want to talk, we'll talk. If you need prayer, we'll pray for you. No, we're not going to take your money. Love is like that. It's, it's, it's risky. When we were going to do laundry love for the first time and go help people do laundry, we didn't know if anyone would show up. We were putting flyers on places, and, and when we had our first laundry love event seven years ago, uh, someone had a guitar, and we're doing music, and we're cooking hot dogs in the parking lot, and we didn't know if anyone was going to show up, but people showed up, and we loved them. We didn't know what to say to them, but man, when you put quarters in a washing machine and laundry and clothes, it takes a while. And so you just, you're standing around, you just talk with them, and you reach out that way. My actions of walking in love are first, they're bold, sometimes risky. The second is this, my actions of love are unconditional. They're unconditional. I'm naturally going to love you even if, even if. And, and the organic nature of my walking in love even if you don't love me back, I'm still going to love you. And it's often seen in the spontaneous sort of natural love that parents have with newborns. Because newborns, they don't do much for you, right? They're not even always that good looking in the eyes of other people, uh, at least. And, <laughs> and, um, but they want to eat and they need cleaning up because they make messes and they cry and they're fussy, but those parents, they love that newborn. Actions of love are, are bold and they're unconditional. And the last one, there's more, but the last one we'll talk about today. Of my actions of love are for everyone. They're for everyone. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. And, and when Jesus is speaking here, in the context here, he's talking to a man named Nicodemus who was part of the Jewish ruling council. He was a Pharisee. And when Jesus said that God loved the world, he loved everyone, it caught Nick's attention. Like, wait a minute here. Because Nick always thought that God loved the Jewish people. And we often think, for God so loved the church, or for God so loved Christians, or for God so loved people that deserve God's love. But God's love is all-inclusive. It includes the worst of the worst. It includes the undeserving. It, in it includes those that our culture completely looks down upon. It includes those who have hurt you in the worst way. It includes sinners like you and like me. But because this way of love is natural for those who love God, 
It's a lifestyle of love. This walking in love is born out of what we believe about God's love. It's just organic and natural to us. It's the way we walk. We've been loved by God first, unconditionally and inclusively. And our beliefs lead us to practice. God is our example. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's as basic as that. Amen?